Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 21. It can be found on page 954 of the Blue Pew Bibles. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of God. This graduating class is making a real hit on our scripture readers. We're going to have to recruit some more. Um, very thankful for these young women who have read for us these last months and years. Will you pray with me? Let's come before the Lord. Father in heaven, we bow before you and we praise you for what we have sung and the truths that you have planted deep in these songs. Father, we praise you that to a woman and to a man, we too confess that when we think about your hand of faithfulness on us, we have to confess that it hasn't been us seeking you, but you have been seeking us. In fact, Father, some of us are sitting in the pews today uh, shaking our heads, saying we've done everything we can to shake off the hand of the Lord and to try to get away, and we haven't been able to. And Father, for those sisters and brothers who are here today, um, surprised at their own presence. I praise you that you have been so faithful. Father, for others of us, we find ourselves, as we sang before, uh, tossed about with many conflicts. We see the way that we have lived our last week, and we wonder, as we have um, just been tossed about, conflicts and fightings within and without doubts and fears. Father, we wonder how is it that you um, will meet us. Father, we 
come before you and we lift up our sisters, Katie and Ellie, to you today. And we ask that your hand would be upon these two women. We pray that you would make yourself known to them uniquely, that you would give them peace that passes understanding, that you would give them clarity of thought and mind, and that you would bring healing. Father, we have fears across the spectrum. Our anxieties about the future take our minds away from the present and cast us into the past with doubt overwhelming us. And Father, we ask that as we gather into your presence now, to a woman and to a man, you would grab our attention and you would show us Jesus. Lord Jesus, we confess that you alone are king. We confess that the entire world is in your hands, that you are seated at the right hand of the Father, and that right now the Holy Spirit is at work making your enemies your footstool. Lord Jesus, we confess that though you are king, we often seek to rule our own lives to no avail, to no peace, and to no joy. Lord Jesus, in your kindness today, would you please lead us to repentance? In your gentleness, would you not snuff out a smoldering wick? In your compassion, would you call us your sheep one more time? And would you allow us to hear your voice? Father, we are wholly dependent on you. We thank you and praise you that you do not leave the roots of our sins unexposed, but in your kindness. And even in our cries for justice, you reveal our own need for repentance. And I pray that we, to a woman and a man, would run to you. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this body, Christ the King Church, which is your church. We are your people. We are your living stones. We are your children. We are your servants. We belong to you. Now make us women and men who seek your glory and not our own. Would you use this scripture to wake us up? Father, I thank you and I praise you that you are at work. And so advance, in advance of what you are doing, we give you praise. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And it's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and turn in the Bible to that page 954 of your blue hymn book or your blue pew Bibles. And in fact, um, those of you who have NIV Bibles, I know some of you bring them to prayer meeting. Uh, you're going to want to compare readings of this passage in the NIV this week. Um, there's some things that I'll point out to you, but there's some differences that will help make things a little bit clearer. And I want to encourage you uh, to look at them. We have finally come to the end of Paul's argument that opens up this first letter of the book of Corinthians. And he has come with full force. Um, again, we have said in the last couple of weeks, we do not assume that because we're studying the book of Corinthians, this congregation struggles with the same things 
that the, that the Corinthian church struggled with to the same degree, to the same magnitude. And yet, and yet, these Corinthians are Christians, and so it is right for us to see these warnings, these admonitions, these encouragements, and ask ourselves, what do we have to learn from this? How is God calling us to himself? Because that really is what is happening as we study these scriptures. The Apostle Paul is finalizing his argument. You can tell that he does that in verses 6 and 7. He says, I have applied all these things, everything that has come before since chapter 1, verse 10. I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, right? So the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I'm getting to the point. I want you to understand what I have against you. I want you to understand what the problem is here in the Corinthian church. The first thing that we're going to see in verses 6 and 7 is Paul exposing the Corinthians, all right? The second thing that we're going to see in 8 through 13 is his use of irony to really drive the point home, to encourage them to repent. And then finally, in verses 14 through 21, his invitation to them. So again, exposure this tool of irony, and then an invitation to return. All right? That's what we're looking at in these few verses. And the Apostle Paul is closing his argument. From here on out, he's going to address issues that he sees in the church. And it's important that we understand this context because we use one of these verses a lot. One of these verses we use a lot. What do you have that you haven't received? And if you have received it, why do you boast as if you haven't, right? We use that a lot when we're about to give our offering. What do you have that you haven't received? So give generously. But the Apostle Paul is after something much deeper in the Corinthians. And I want to ask you, is it possible that he's after something much deeper in your heart and in mine as well? You see, the root of the problem with the Corinthians comes out in verse 6. He's exposing this root. Look at it with me. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn not to go beyond what is written. So he's most likely saying, look, everything that we've talked about, being servants, being the building of God, being the field of God, us being the one who waters, us being the one who planted, but God causing the growth, you are his field, you are his building, you are his servants, you belong to him. All of that argumentation is so that they would not go beyond what is written, and most likely what he's talking about there, though it's hard to understand, is that one quotation that he brought up out of Jeremiah 9. Do you remember that? Where the Apostle Paul says, don't, or excuse me, where the prophet Jeremiah says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this. Are you ready? This is our boast that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. The Apostle Paul is saying, we have told you these things and we've applied this to you so you won't go beyond what is written, he says, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. This idea of being puffed up, he's later going to use the words arrogance in verses 18 and 19, okay? It's the same word, that you wouldn't be arrogant. And remember what the arrogance of the, Christian, of the Corinthians had brought them to? Jealousy and conflict 
and, 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 and strife between themselves and the Apostle Paul. They had judged Paul inadequately, as Nathan preached about last week. And they were judging each other. And there was divisions within the church. They weren't of the same mind. Do you remember that? And he's saying, the reason I have told you this is because I have seen in you something that is pernicious in the human heart. And if it goes unaddressed, will continue to infect everything about your life. And that is the perniciousness of pride, of arrogance, of having received gifts and of those gifts received, identifying oneself according to those gifts and then using those gifts against others and saying, I am better than you. The perniciousness of pride. It's a big deal for the Apostle Paul. It's a big problem according to this text. And the Apostle Paul brings out the big guns to expose this pride. In verse 7, the exposure goes on in these three questions. For who sees anything different in you? It's a really hard question to understand. The best commentator that I read said that that question really means this. Who do you think you are? I usually think of the book of Galatians as being the book where the Apostle Paul really brings the hammer down. You foolish Galatians, how have you abandoned the gospel so quickly? This passage in Corinthians blows those passages away. The Apostle Paul is after the Corinthians because of the gravity of their pride. He says in the first question, who do you think you are? Your presupposition that you believe you deserve the gifts that you have been given. That you believe you deserve God's love for you. That you believe that you have already arrived. He asks him a second question. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? We all ought to be able to answer that together, right? What's the answer that he gives? Should be nothing, right? We don't have anything that we haven't received. There's nothing that we have that we haven't received. Another commentator that I read this week said this, this question in and of itself is an invitation to experience one of those rare, unguarded moments of total honesty. Let me ask you the question again for a rare, unguarded moment of total honesty. What do you have that you haven't received? And the Apostle Paul follows that question up. If then you have received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The first question shines a light on their presumption, but the second question's shine a light on their ingratitude. Let me ask you a question. Which of your character traits do you prize? Which of your character traits do you prize? And before you say none, I want to call no way. That's not true. Because I have struggled all week in this. 
Which of your character traits do you prize and that you call, you know, this one's all my own? This one is my own. I deserve the praise and the glory for this trait. The Apostle Paul says that pride takes those who are recipients of grace and makes them those who think that they have arrived. Did you see the quote on the front of the order of worship? Grace leads to gratitude. The concept of wisdom and self-sufficiency leads to boasting, judgment. Grace means humility. Boasting means one has arrived. The Apostle Paul is pushing the Corinthians because they are prideful. I want to ask you this. What have you said thank you to God for today? Honestly. Where have you stopped today and said, thank you, God, for this? You see, Paul says to the Ephesian Christians, he said, look, I want you to flee sexual immorality and I want you to flee idolatry and I want you to flee coarse talking. I, I was telling the junior high, now senior high boys this, and one of them was honest enough to go, that would be really hard if I had to stop coarse talking. We're like, yeah, that's really hard. What's going to change our hearts? What's going to change? Do you know what the Apostle Paul says? He doesn't say accountability partners. He doesn't say limit your cell phone use. He doesn't say uh, watch your tongue. Do you want to know what he says? Instead, be thankful. Hmm. Thankfulness. You know I'm a rock climber. You know that one of the most fascinating things in the course of the year is whenever those big, you know, uh, big portions of, of El Capitan fall down. You know that that rock is like an onion, right? And there are always massive portions of that huge rock that fall. Do you want to know what makes them fall? Water. Water of all things. The freezing and the thawing of water. Do you want to know what will break our stranglehold on pride? Thanksgiving. You go, there's no way that Thanksgiving is that powerful. Yes, it is. Because the moment we enter into Thanksgiving, we have to confess there is nothing that we have that we have not received. The Apostle Paul is exposing the pride of the Corinthians but then he turns in verse 8 and he levels the gun, the tool, if you will, maybe the better illustration, the tool of irony. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Let me try to read it the way we ought to hear it. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have already begun to reign. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. The Apostle Paul is using irony to drive to the core of the Corinthians' hearts to uncover pride. Listen, I just want to tell you what the text says. I want us to ask the question, 
Do we need to hear this? Do I need to hear it? Irony is the expression of one's meaning by using words that tend to mean the opposite. That's what the use of irony is, literarily speaking, uh, in speech or in writing, right? And the Apostle Paul is being very ironic here. He's saying, look, already you guys have arrived. Look, you've showed me that you're arrived. You're filled, you're rich, and then it actually says you're reigning. This idea of reigning is what's going to happen at the end of time when Jesus comes. He goes, look, you've already arrived. You want nothing to do with me. You've already arrived. And he says, I wish that you were reigning because that would mean that Jesus had come back. And that would mean that the end of time has come. But the Apostle Paul obviously doesn't believe that. He is saying already, already, already this has happened. But he says, Corinthians, you're not even fighting with what is not yet. You know that theological dichotomy, right? The already of the truth of redemption. We are already with Christ seated in the heavenly places. That's already happened, you guys. The Apostle Paul writes that. But we are not there yet. We are here where we are fighting sin in the world and the flesh and the devil, right? There is an already and a not yet, and the Corinthians don't see it. The Corinthians believe that already they have spiritually arrived. Already they have arrived and no one else has. No one else has caught up with those Corinthians. Now verses 9 and 10 is where I really want to encourage you to find the NIV and go and read it because it helps you understand the nuances of these words. Because the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting for the Corinthians is a picture that he loves. He's used it at least two other times in his writings, in 2 Corinthians and in Colossians. It's the picture of a triumphal procession when there is a victor in a war and those who are honored with that victor walk right behind the victor and those who are dishonored or those who have been captured are at the very end of the line. And after they are marched through the city, they are taken to the Colosseum and they are fed to the lions. And the Apostle Paul says this of the Corinthians. He says, look, according to your logic, I know, I know who we are as apostles. As apostles, we are those who are at the end of the line. We are those who are about to be killed in the arena. That's the specific word that he uses. We are the fools, he says. You're the wise ones. We're the weak ones. You're the strong ones. We're the ones who are dishonored. You're the honored ones. The Apostle Paul is using irony to show them the gravity of their position, the gravity of what pride has done in their lives, the way that their theology has been twisted. And he goes one step further, and he says, in fact, let me tell you about my condition. In verses 11, 12, and 13, listen to what he says. He says, you have arrived, but in this very hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed. We are buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. 
When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. The Apostle Paul is saying our condition is the very thing that you, Corinthians, disdain. But let me ask you, when you heard those words, what did you think of? Who did you think of? To this present hour, we are hungry and thirsty, poorly dressed, buffeted and homeless, laboring, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. The Apostle Paul is saying, we are a spectacle like Jesus was a spectacle. The Apostle Paul is using the language that Jesus used. And the Apostle Paul is telling the Christians, because of your pride, you have missed who we are and you're missing Jesus. Isaiah 53, when it talks about the suffering servant of God, says this, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The Corinthians have despised Paul and want nothing to do with him in their pride. They have decided that they have arrived. They have decided that they know what wisdom is. And the Apostle Paul has argued against their wisdom. He's argued against their strength. And now the Apostle Paul is showing them the irony of their position, what their pride has done to their theology. He said, you're missing the very truth that our lives look like the life of Jesus the life of the cross. He ends it with this incredible statement, we have become and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. The Apostle Paul says this, we have become what is removed from you when you clean yourself off for being impure. That's what he's saying. He's saying we are the dirt and the scum that has been washed away from you that has made you pure. Maybe one of the best things that we can imagine in this is that what clogs up your drain in the shower. It's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. The Apostle Paul is saying that's what we've become if your theology is true. The Apostle Paul is saying that's who we are. But do you think the Apostle Paul believed that? No, he didn't believe that. What did he say in Galatians 2.20, children? You've memorized this. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. He's a child of God, dearly loved by the Father. But he is saying, according to your theology, according to your pride, we're scum. We're what was washed away so that you could be made pure. We are the sacrificial lambs for you, Corinthians, is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Interesting, sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? The Apostle Paul has pulled out irony so that we might see what he is saying of the Corinthians, that you have missed Jesus 
you have missed Jesus who became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Let me ask you a question. I think this is where we might come closest to the Corinthian church. Though again, I do not believe that CTK Newton is this Corinthian church. But where does our disdain for suffering unmask our pride? Where does our disdain for suffering unmask our pride? You want to know one of mine? One of mine is when I suffer because of choices my children make. And I say that to you, and you're like, good night. You're a mess. Well, I know I'm a mess. But I think you might be too. Maybe somewhere. What do I mean? Uh, I disdain that suffering because what? Do, do I deserve that? Do, do I deserve suffering there? But what does that mean? That means that in my pride somewhere, I think I deserve something. Not allowing my parenting to need the gospel applied to it. That's deep water, you guys. And I want to ask you that same question. Where does our disdain for suffering unmask our pride? Because here the Apostle Paul uses the tool of irony to get after us. But praise God, he doesn't end there. He goes on to this invitation in 14 through 21. This invitation... He tells us what the purpose of this conversation has been so far. Look at 14 with me. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Then don't miss it. These Corinthians are ashamed. They're ashamed of their pride, or they should be. If we allow this to go to the core of our hearts, and if we allow it to expose our pride, there ought to be a degree of shame, right? There ought to be a degree of shame in the way that we judge one another, in the way that we allow factions, in, in the way that we allow strife and jealousy to mark our community, in the way in which we take our gifts for granted, and in the way of which our pride turns us away from other Christians that we don't think are as smart as we are, or we don't think they're as far along as we are, whatever it is. There should be a sense of shame in that. But the Apostle Paul says, look, I didn't write just to shame you. That would be not loving. But he says that I wrote to admonish you, is what he tells the Corinthians. It is a father in the language of our baptismal vows, right? What do we ask our parents? Do you promise to raise your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, right? And here, he is saying... I long to see change in you. And then he calls these Corinthians his beloved children. You are my beloved children. I don't disdain you. It was their pride that led to them disdaining Paul, but Paul responds to their pride. And he says, I do not disdain you. In fact, I consider myself as your father. 
their father because the Apostle Paul brought that conversion of the gospel to them, right? Preached the gospel to them. They experienced the power of the gospel. They experienced the forgiveness of their sins. They experienced the indwelling of the Spirit. They knew what it meant to be set free. And the Apostle Paul says, look, you only have one father. And I got to do that for you. And I love you as a father loves his children. And then in verse 16, he gives us the invitation. He gives the Corinthians the invitation. I urge you then, be imitators of me. The Apostle Paul urged the Corinthians to imitate him. He says that I sent Timothy to you, my faithful servant, my faithful child, the one who lives faithfully so that you might know and remember to remind you, in verse 17, to remind you of my ways in Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In fact, in chapter 11, he will actually say those words, imitate me, in verse 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says, remember what Jesus said. The servant isn't greater than the master. If they hated me, they will hate you also. You see, Jesus was the spectacle. He was the weak one, the homeless one, the persecuted one, the one who, when he was reviled, he blessed others. Jesus was the one who loved his enemy. Jesus is the one who moved toward the other. And maybe the question that we ought to consider is where have we become so prideful and I really think if we see pride in our lives, we have become prideful because we see the way life ought to work. And we believe that we have arrived and we judge others who haven't. Our pride comes from living in sin and flaunting that reality and saying, it doesn't matter. I'm going to live any way I want because that's what happened with the Colossians. I mean, the Corinthians... They're going to be called out for sexual immorality that's going to make us blush in about two weeks, so hang on. But this is amazing. I want to ask you, where does your life imitate Christ? Where does your life imitate Christ? Where would someone see your life and go, that reminds me of Jesus? Mita and I used to encourage our children as they went off to school at Newton South, love your friends so that if one day they meet Jesus, they will recognize him. Brothers and sisters, how has our desire to remove suffering from our lives kept us from loving the communities where God has put us? That's where we will find our pride. You want to know something? I think I have a radar for pride. Do you have a radar for pride in your life? The best I can explain it is that the reason I think I have a radar for pride is because my own pride has made me so sensitive to being poked and prodded by somebody else's pride. My own pride 
And here the Apostle Paul says, look, the theology of pride taken to its end makes us miss Jesus, the very one who loves us. It ends with a warning, right? It ends with a warning. And he says, I want to see those who are arrogant when I come. And I want to see if their power is in just their words or if there is power there. And he says, because the kingdom of God comes not in just words, but in power. I want to ask us as a congregation, what is the ethos of Christ the King Newton like? What's it like? Is there an ethos here that somebody would say, man, that place looks like and acts like Jesus? Or is there something else about our body? Have you ever walked into a church and you go, I don't know what's going on in that church, but something's right. <laughs> Do you and I ever come in here and go, I don't know what's going on with us, but there's still something that's not right. Listen, the Apostle Paul was saying that about the Corinthian church, and I think we do well to heed his wisdom and ask that of ourselves. Here's something bold we could do. What if you went to someone in the congregation and said, where do you see pride in my life? Where do you see me exalting myself over others? Here's a bold one for you that I invite you to do. Ask me out for coffee and say, Bradley, can I ask you a question? I, I could be wrong in this, and, and I'm not sure if I see things correctly, but Bradley, is it possible that you have pride in this area of your life? You guys, I don't know the better way that you could love me. And the Apostle Paul is saying, this is so important that it has to be exposed, rooted out, and then invited back to following Jesus, the one who became a spectacle, who bore our sin on the cross so that we might be free to receive grace and with humbleness and gratitude live a life that imitates Christ. This might be the Apostle Paul in his most aggressive and in his most adamant letter that I have read yet. And I tell you, I have been convicted. Let's close by praying and praying for each other.